me give you a warm welcome to Pam and Dan Kopeck, some of the earliest members of this church. Many of you do not know that because Job took them away from us in the first year. But we welcome, was it two years? Two and a half. All right, I shortened your time frame. But we welcome you back as always as you come and visit. It's always a privilege. Of course, Pat is a part of us, Pam's brother. But welcome home. And we're glad that you're here with us this morning as well. And to our guests, welcome to you, whether this is your first time with us or whether you've returned a time or two. We kind of secretly hope that you do because about the third or fourth time we stop thinking of you as guests. I hope you're not offended by that, but if you are, tough snuggies. We start thinking of you as family, and uh, we're glad that you are here. I have actually only a part of a verse for you today. The context before I read it to you is Paul is talking about Abraham. And frankly, you can go and read the context, but for my thought today, it's not even relevant what he was saying about Abraham. But in the midst of him talking about Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, the one who was called by God to leave his family and his, his father's house and his country and to begin to wander and to follow the direction of God to ultimately be taken to a land of promise sometime in the future. He's known as the father of the faithful. The writers of the New Testament attribute to him that because he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. This Abraham is described in Romans 4, verse 17, as believing in God. And then this description is given of the God he believed in. The God who makes the dead alive and summons the things that do not yet exist as though they already exist. The God who makes the lifeless have life. And who, if you look up the word summons, is basically an order or a process of giving direction. So he's a God who takes something that is dead, that is lifeless. And he makes it alive. And he gives an order or he gives direction to things that do not yet exist. He did not say, do not seem to exist. No, he gives this order, he gives this direction, he summons. The things that do not yet exist. 
as if, as though they already exist. These two descriptors are impossible for humans. When something has truly died, we do not have the capacity to raise it back to life. There has become to be a window of time where we've learned through various machines and techniques to perhaps, possibly, maybe, sometimes, shock a heart, breathe a breath, stimulate the body in some way to perhaps cause it to what we say come back to life. But every medical professional within the sound of my voice, and welcome to all of you that are online, you know there is that window. And when that window is passed, if you even do achieve bringing back one of the functions, such as the heart or the breathing, if it's been too long, they are brain dead. So even with all of modern science and all of the innovations and the exploration and the discovery that we have made about the human body, and I'm thankful for all of that, when death has finally fully set in, we do not have the capacity to bring life back to that which is dead. But what's even more fundamentally disturbing to all of us is that while physical death seems permanent, spiritual death is even more daunting. Have you ever sat in life and felt the cold and the darkness and the meaningless of what you're doing? Have you ever wondered in your head, why? What's the point? The more years that go by, the more that we lose that carefree, not questioning way of living. The babies that run around here are not wondering why. They're just taking it as is. But as life moves along and as we grow into maturity and we come into adulthood and we begin to think that Maybe it's going to be the job, or maybe it's going to be the marriage, or maybe it's going to be the things that we acquire, or the education that we're able to obtain, or, or the, the great deeds that we can do, even acts of service or kindness that we do. And as life moves along, the further along you go, if you do not know the God that I'm preaching to you this morning, you will reach a point, and somebody in the sound of my voice, I believe, probably has already felt this, because God has very clearly directed me to bring this message to you, that when you find that hollow feeling, when you find that place of wondering, what's the point? Why am I doing this? Why does this matter? What is the point of this life? In that place that is called spiritual death, 
We were never meant to feel those feelings. We were never meant to die, by the way. We were meant to physically live forever. But along with that physically living forever, we were also meant to live spiritually. We were meant to live in communion with the God who made us in his likeness and after his image, whose, whose very being makes sense of why we exist. It is he, it is his nature, it is his makeup, it is him that makes us understand why life works works but life's not the way that he intended it we die it's appointed unto us once to die every one of us will die but even before our physical death without God present in our lives we begin to feel the utter hopelessness and meaninglessness of this life. I remember a few years ago, Ben saying to me, I don't know, Ben, if you remember this, but you said, do you ever feel like all life is is servicing your life? That's a pretty profound insight. When you sit down and you think about it, I eat so I'm not hungry, so I can get hungry again. I sleep so I'm rested, so I can go do things that will make me tired and I'll need to sleep again. I pay the bills so that they don't shut certain things off, so that then I can pay them again. You start to wonder, what's the point? Brother Brian, I'm wondering when you're going to finally look at my lawn for the final time and go, I don't care about this lawn. <laughs> I've cut this, oh, I don't know, hundreds of times now, maybe even a thousand times. It's just grass. The cyclical meaninglessness of life without God is a death worse than physical death. This is why, I'm not giving you permission and I'm begging you, please do not do it because I have something more to tell you. But this is why so many people say, it is simpler to just take my life. It is simpler to just end my physical life because then the pain of my spiritual death will no longer be with me. It just is simpler for it to go silent. Don't do it. But this morning, I want you to understand that I get why people feel that. But I'm here this morning to preach to you about a God who takes that dead place and makes it alive. You can't do it. A therapist can't do it. A spouse can't do it. Money can't do it. Possessions and goods can't do it. Accolades can't do it. Education can't do it. Your children can't do it. I can't do it. The church can't do it. But the God that I preached to you this morning is the God who takes things that are dead and makes them alive. 
I honestly believe that all of the examples in the New Testament in which Jesus raised people from the dead, the point was not to raise them from the dead because they were all going to die again. The point was is to simply show us in the physical, I have power to do what you cannot do. And if I can raise from the dead that which is physically dead, then I can certainly raise within you that which has died within your spirit. I can return you to the joy of your childhood. I can return you to the innocence of that little boy or that little girl who didn't wonder why but woke with the bright-eyed excitement of what's today going to hold? Where are we going now? What am I going to get to see or experience now? Not the fear of failure. Not the fear of falling down. Not the fear of any of that but just the wide-eyed wonder of being alive. That's why God, in Jesus Christ, exercised that power multiple times, summonsing back to physical life those who had died. One of the most powerful images is of his friend Lazarus. You may know the story. He was friends with Lazarus and his two sisters. This is a side note, but have you ever ever wondered what it was like to be Lazarus? (laughs) You know, living with a wife is one thing. Living with daughters is another thing. But sisters? Sisters are disrespectful. (laughs) Sisters are thoroughly unimpressed with you. Like even more than a wife and a daughter. (laughs) Sisters are convinced mom dropped you on your head and something's wrong with you. And it's their job to fix it. And he had two of them. Anyway, that's a total side note. To our guests, I'm sorry. I did one a little ADHD on that one. That one has nothing to do with the topic tonight. But I just thought. But Jesus is friends with Lazarus and those two sisters. And we always get the story of Jesus and the two sisters. But I think Lazarus was the one that was most excited when Jesus came calling. So word comes that Lazarus is sick. And Jesus just stays where he's at. And then he gets moving, and the disciples said, well, what's going on? And Jesus makes this horrible statement. Lazarus is dead. My dear brother and sister today, you cannot be made alive by the God who summons the dead to life until you first acknowledge that you are dead. You got to own the fact that life is not the way it's supposed to be. You got to own the fact that there's an aching inside of you that you try to turn and run from, but it's still there. You got to own the fact that no matter how hard you try, you fall short of doing even what you think is right let alone the God that you read of in the Bible. 
you got to own that you're dead. Dead people can't do anything. Dead people can't cover themselves. Dead people can't feed themselves. Dead people cannot resurrect themselves. Dead people cannot do anything for themselves. They are dead. But with this spiritual death, you're still physically alive, but you have no ability to fix this spiritual problem within you. You have no ability to rectify this issue that is inside of your soul. You know it's there, but you've got to make the pronouncement. You've got to tell the God who summons, I'm dead, and I need you to put life back in me. The reason I told you please don't take your life and don't go down that path is because I promise you there has never been a soul on this earth that has prayed a prayer similar to what I just prayed, that the God who summons does not speak in the same authoritative voice that he spoke when he stepped outside of Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus, come forth! What was impossible for Mary, what was impossible... For Martha, what was impossible for the disciples? What was impossible for Lazarus? God Almighty simply spoke the same creative power that he spoke on the day of creation. And he said, Lazarus, I summoned you. I give you an order. I direct that you rise from the dead. Lazarus could not control that he was still bound, but that boy bounced out somehow of that grave. Suddenly life was back in his body. And today I'm telling you, you will not be able to explain it. You will not know how to describe it. But God knows how to summon life back into your life. He knows how to put spirit back into your spirit. And he's able to take depression and give you a handle on it. He's able to give you a purpose that supersedes all of your questions. He's able to give you joy that passeth all understanding. He's able to give you a peace that keepeth your heart and your mind. Because he's a God who summons. He issues orders, he gives directions. Dead don't have to stay dead. And as powerful as it is, and as much as signs and wonders are amazing, when we hear of stories of even today through the power of Jesus Christ, the physical dead being raised to life. Every single time a person who is dead in their spirit and God speaks into their life and a spark of hope reignites, that moment is just as miraculous as the moment that the dead body first twitches or the eyelashes flutter or the mouth moves. Because Almighty God has the ability to raise the dead to life. Life came from him. Life returns to him. And the purpose of life for us humans is baked into the image that he is and in whose likeness we were made. It's all about God. That's why you have to understand that the way we make disciples is we worship. It's all about him.
It's all about Him. And please don't constrain worship to just a song or just a posture. Worship is everything you do that acknowledges that God is the God who summons. But that's not all he summons. You realize Paul could have stopped there and there would have been massive significance to what he just said. Because Abraham was the guy who was instructed by God to take his son to Mount Moriah and there kill that son. And another passage of Scripture says Abraham believed that God would raise his son again from the dead. That's why he was willing to be obedient. But Paul didn't stop there. He didn't say this God makes the dead alive. Period. In fact, the statement makes the dead alive is rather specific. It's actually kind of targeted. The next statement is anything but targeted. This God, who speaks with a voice of authority, gives direction and order to dead people to rise from the dead. who if you will give him permission today, will step into your life and will speak hope and life and joy and peace back into you. Some of you know what I'm talking about because he's done it for you. Can we take a moment and just kind of wave our hands at Jesus and thank him for it? Those of you that know what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about that it's perfect or that it's been completed, but he spoke hope back into your life. There was a moment where there was no way you knew how to go forward, but he spoke hope back into your life. He was able to bring life back to that which in human hands would have already been dead. Not life support, literal life. But this God that Abraham believed in, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, this God doesn't just raise the dead to life. Doesn't just make dead things alive things. He summons things that don't yet exist as if they are already in existence. Now, lots of people want to focus upon this as the creative power of God. And by the way, that's exactly, that is contained in there. Go and read the Genesis chapter 1 account, and you will see God summonsing things that did not yet exist as though they existed. Let there be light. God, when he spoke it, expected light right there. And then there was light. But I, this morning, want to draw your attention to another aspect of this that is extremely important for you and I to recognize, particularly in this season. God speaks things that do not yet exist. He summons them. He directs and orders them. He starts acting like they're already there. He starts speaking to them as if they already are there, even though they don't yet exist. 
And in that moment, you and I who are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, we've now been brought into newness of life through the power of Jesus Christ. You and I then face a critical decision. The critical decision is, is do we insist upon acting according to what is our reality? And our reality, my dear brothers and sisters, is what we can see, what we can taste, what we can hear, what we can touch or feel, and what we can smell. That's our reality. I'm not condemning you. In fact, if you looked at me, Brother Owen, and told me that there was a pink elephant right here, I would have to work very hard not to call your daughter and say, we need to have Owen see a doctor. Because I don't see a pink elephant. And if you actually did, We don't think you're smarter than us. We think something went wrong. I use that just to illustrate how our reality is determined by our senses. No, there's not a gray one there either, Owen. I heard you. Not in this building, you can't. (laughs) But there's a problem with that reality for us. Because God speaks, summons, orders things that don't exist. As if they do. And you already know he plays funny with time, right? Because he's a God who's outside of time. He's a God who has always been. He's a God who will always be. He's a God who is timeless. That causes my brain to hurt too because I everything has a start. And even if I can understand something not having a finish, in other words, living forever, even our reality was that we had a start. The first man and the first woman had a start. God never had a start. Where did he come from? He's just always been. So how did it just is? Um, Doesn't work, does it? It's not our reality. So we already know that this God plays fast and loose with time. From our vantage point, God plays fast and loose with time. He created time, therefore he intimately understands time. He knows that we are creatures of time, but in his basic nature, the God that we serve is not constrained by time. So God steps into your life, God steps into my life, and he begins to direct us to act in a manner that makes no sense because there's nothing there. And God goes, oh, yeah, there is. 
And we go, show me, and then I'll do it. And he goes, oh, no, that's not how it works. I summons. I give orders. I direct things that do not yet exist as if they already do. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is the faith walk. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is what pleases God. This, my dear brothers and sisters, is what Paul meant when he says we do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. We walk in hope of that which does not yet exist. We walk in sight of that which we cannot yet see. Because God is the God who summons things that do not yet exist as if they have already existed. Because he knows that he has all power. And he knows he has all authority. And he knows that if he says it is to be, then it will be. No human can stop it. No earth can stop it. No circumstance can stop it. No sin can stop it. No limitation can stop it. Because he is the God who summons things which do not yet exist exist as if they already do so we're in crisis now to all of our guests let me just tell you if you don't already know it I don't know what words my wife calls me special others call me bold others call me forward others call me truth speaker I don't know let me just tell you I speak exactly what I'm thinking with no reservations and for some reason this group of people either tolerates or loves it or at least somewhere in between. So to our guests, please forgive me if I'm offensive here, but I'm going to tell you something that most other places wouldn't tell you. This congregation that you're in the midst of is on the precipice of a major decision that's probably going to birth a miracle. So welcome to an amazing ride. But they're sitting on the edge of it. I'm sitting on the edge of it with them. We're sitting on the edge of this terrified. We're sitting on the edge of this scared. We're sitting on the edge of this because God has spoken something that doesn't yet exist as if it does. And all of us, including me, are looking around going, where is it? All disrespect aside, we're, we're not trying to be disrespectful to any individual or any person, but we look around and we're like, we don't see it, God. Every counselor that I have counseled with, they've never told me that I didn't hear from God, that my time to pastor here is over. But every one of them goes, and they begin to ask questions that I don't have the answers to. Well, how's this going to work, Steve? Where are you going? I don't know yet. Well, then why did you tell us now? Because God speaks things which are not as though they were. My dear people, I love you. I know you're hurting right now. But the miraculous does not happen by us going with what we can see. The miraculous happens when we believe in the God who summons that which does not yet exist as if it already is. And frankly, it's terrifying. Because we don't know how to wrap our brains around it. 
We don't know how to figure it out. We can't look at it. We can't touch it. We can't hear it. We can't smell it. And we can't taste it. All we got is that summonsing voice. That's all we have is the voice of the Almighty. Now, I'm not going to go into what we're going into tonight. I will talk to you tonight, and you need to be back here tonight. Okay? You need to be back here tonight. But if we boil this all down, the bottom line of what is in front of us is, do we believe God or not? If you want the miraculous to occur in your life, you're going to have to, I'm really sorry for this, but you're going to have to get comfortable with these kinds of circumstances. You have to get comfortable with standing on the side of a boat and Jesus saying, come. Peter knew the waters. He'd swam in the waters. He had boated the waters. He knew that lake like the back of his hand. But there was one thing Peter had never, ever done before. He'd never walked on the water. He'd sunk down in the water. He'd swam in the water. He'd tried to avoid the water. He'd rode a boat on the water. He'd rode the water. Never walked. And just like the voice that summons Lazarus out of the death of his tomb, Peter, here's the voice of the God who summons. Come, Peter. Come, Peter. So there's some of you here today that I'm about to open this altar up to. And you're going to be able to come up if you want to and get honest with God about how dead you are. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for a long time. Some of you are dead and he wants to resurrect you. Because what I described to you about being honest with God about the fact that you've lost hope and that there's death in your life That honesty is called repentance. That's what repentance is. It's being honest with God and saying, I have lost my way, and I am not where I'm supposed to be, and I don't know what to do about it, and I can't fix it. But I believe you're a God who summons, who makes the dead alive again. But surrounding those few people, there's a whole lot of you that you need to come to this altar And if you don't come to this altar, you need to turn around in your pew chairs and you need to bury your nose in that pew chair. And you need to decide between you and God, are you willing to serve the God who summons, who calls things into existence and orders them as if they already are there before they even exist? There's no easy way to do that. Because everything within your being is screaming, this is wrong. 
Everything within your reality is screaming, something's messed up. Everything within your being is saying, this is not the way I planned it. This is not the way it should be planned. But those of you that are a part of that second group, you already know the God who summons life back to that which is dead. You don't have a way of explaining why God has saved you. You don't have a way of explaining the hope that you now have that you used to not have. You don't have a way of explaining it. You may have told yourself you do because, well, I got baptized or, well, I got the Holy Ghost or, well, I started living holy. That's not sufficient. That doesn't do it. Tina, wake the computer up. It's sleeping. That's pretty, but that's not what I want up. I want my title slide up. She'll get there. We don't really have an explanation for how this God brings life back to us. Some of you have gone through hell since you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there was peace that passeth all understanding. I didn't say there wasn't hurt. But even in the midst of the hurt, there was joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even in the midst of unspeakable loss, there was, there was a God supplying all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He just kept showing up. He kept doing what he needed to do. You kept making it through day after day. So should it surprise us then, my dear brothers and sisters, that when God is about to move miraculously, that he would not move in a way that we cannot explain. I'm not trying to badger you about the decisions that are in front of you. They are genuinely yours as members of this congregation. But what I am doing is I'm coming to you in the way that I always have come to you. And I am preaching to you in the same way that I have always preached to you with straightforwardness and honesty. And I'm telling you, this is not a business decision that you have in front of you. This is a spiritual decision you have in front of you. And you're going to achieve the right answer through prayer and faith, not through analysis and wisdom. Because God likes to take the wisdom of this world and show it to be foolishness. And he likes to take the foolish things of this world and confound the wise because he's the God who summons. He's crazy. He's nuts. He speaks to things that don't yet exist and says, now tomorrow I want you to do this, this, and this, and it doesn't even exist. But it will, because I said it will. I'm not speaking here. I'm saying God looks at it and says, it will, because I said it will. What is needed will be there when you need it.
I will supply. I will direct. I will qualify. I will prepare. I will do this. I will do this. I will. The creator of the heavens and the earth, I will do this. This is why, my little children, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. If you believe in God, Jesus said, believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare it for you. We haven't seen that mansion. I don't know where that mansion is. I can't lay my hands on that mansion. But I'm living my life today and tomorrow and the next day, counting on that when I go over to the other side, there's a mansion there. He speaks things which are not yet in existence as if they already exist. I challenge you, go to the Bible and refresh your brain, like clear your cache. Those of you that are computer nerds, you know what I'm talking about. Clear, clear your cache. Clear your memory out. And read afresh every single place that God actually speaks to somebody and tells them to do something. And answer this simple question. If you didn't know the end of the story, and if you were that person, does what he tells them to do make any sense? Noah, build an ark. What's an ark? Well, it's this thing, and I'm going to give you the specifications and the wood and all of this kind of thing. Why? Because there's going to be a flood. What's a flood? Well, it's when you get a lot of rain. What's rain? Some of you may not know your Bibles real well. There was no rain in those days. Mist would come up out of the ground. There was no rain. Nothing came down. Mist floated up from the ground and watered the vegetation. It never rained. So God is telling Noah to do something that has absolutely no precedence, no blueprint, nobody's ever done it before, and it makes absolutely no sense. Until the day that it started to rain. Until the day that it started to flood. Then everything God had said that made no sense, now made perfect sense. Because God speaks, he summons, he orders, he gives directions to things which do not yet exist as if they do exist. Go to the Hall of Fame of Faith. Go to Hebrews 11 and read through every one of them, the directions to every one of those people. It made no sense what God told them to do. So why am I surprised that I have prayed for years, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God took me serious. Every time you mumbled that at a funeral or at some other service, please understand, God didn't get the memo that you were just going through the motions. He thought you actually meant thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is done in heaven. He actually thinks that you and I believe him, that he is a God, that he's good, and that he will reward us when we diligently see him. He actually believes our prayers. I've prayed, God, I want what you want. God, I want as much as I can have, as young as I can have it. God, I want a vision that is your vision for me. Why did I ever preach that Chase the Lion series? God took me serious at that. You all liked it too, so don't blame me. 
You shouted and juked and jived because it was good word. Now God's going, okay, it's time to put up. It's time to put up. I am calling into existence that which does not yet exist. But it does because I'm the God who summons. I'm the God who, when I speak things into existence, they will come into existence. And you are called to act as if they already This is why we have hope. Musicians, whoever's come and come. This is why we have hope. We're not saved yet. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you sinned this week, but all of you who left your hand down would join the rest of us who put our hands up because you would have just lied. We've in some way broke the law. We've in some way not lived up to the standard of God. So why are we hopeful? Why are we happy? Why were we exulting in the songs we were singing? Because we believe in the God who summons. Things which do not yet exist. I'm not yet holy, Sister Mary. I know that's hard to believe, but I am not yet holy. I am not a perfect husband. I am not a perfect father. I'm not even a perfect pastor. You already knew that part, but anyway. But God, I have hope. I'm excited about serving Jesus because he's spoken into my life things which do not yet exist as though they already exist. He looks at me and says, Janelle, you are my daughter and I love you. You are righteous. And you're looking around going, I'm not righteous. He goes, oh yeah, you are. You're righteous because I'm going to make you righteous. I speak things which do not yet exist as though they were. I'm broken. I can't eat. I can't live up to it. Oh, it's all right. I'm the God who summons. I summons. You say, well, look at what I did and I messed this up. Oh, he just summons again. He just speaks again. I'm here to tell some of you, hey, I got to hold standards. I got to hold right. I preach right and wrong, but never let my righteous preaching ever silence the mercy and the grace of the God who summons that which does not yet exist into existence. You are never gone from the mercy and the grace of God. So in like fashion, as a corporate body, he has plans for this place. I don't even know them all. I don't even understand them all. I see through a glass darkly. But, do I believe him or don't I? Do you believe him or don't you? And I'm challenging you that the vast majority of us sitting here today, we know how to believe the God who summons because that's how we make it through our day-to-day life as a Christian. We know we haven't arrived, but we believe him. We believe his promises. We believe that what he has promised will come to pass. He who began a good work in our lives will bring it to completion. So now corporately, can we not also believe the same thing? Can we not place our faith? Now, I'm not silencing you. You can yell at God all day long. I yell at him about my salvation. God, why don't you fix this that's in me? Why don't you take this thorn out of my flesh? As Paul said, to which God said, my grace is sufficient. So I'm not silencing you from talking to God. But in the end, are we going to believe in the God who summons? 
Because if you go back to Romans chapter 4, whatever Paul was saying about Abraham, he said, Abraham believed God. He believed the God. He believed the God who makes the dead alive. And he believed the God that summons things that do not yet exist as though they already do. You know why I came to church today? Because I believe God is saving me. I believe that I have salvation promised to me. That's why I came to church. Otherwise, I'd be condemned. I wouldn't want to come to church. I wouldn't want to be in your presence. I'd feel bad. But I came because I believe the God who summons. So as we walk forward in our path forward in this local congregation, can we believe God? Can we act like he's actually speaking the truth? Can we believe he speaks, orders, directs things into existence that don't yet exist as if they already do exist? I'm done. This altar's open. If you're a guest with us, I welcome you to come to the altar. It's a great place to focus. But if you're uncomfortable with that, it's fine for you to stay in your pew. Or maybe you just want to come up and stand over against a wall somewhere. But what I do want this entire place to be is a place of worship. I want this entire place to be a place where you submit yourself, wherever you're at, whatever you're struggling with, whatever your questions are, that you say to this God who summons, God, I believe in you. You can yell at him, you can question him, but you're going to ask him in the end, Lord, help me to believe in you. Jesus, I love you and I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship your name and I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. God, I worship you and I praise you. God, whatever, whatever I messed up today, Lord, God, you fix it. God, whatever needed to be applied differently, Lord Jesus, you, you do that right now through your spirit. God, whatever needs to be made clear in the hearts and the minds of individuals that are Within the sound of my voice, Lord, or online, Lord, I ask that you by your spirit would, would take, take away the things that I messed up and, Lord, make clear. God, help us, Lord, to walk in the peace and the joy that comes from your spirit. Help us, Lord, to believe in you, the God who summons things, who brings life back when death has arrived. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That calls things into existence that don't yet exist, but he's so assured it's going to happen. He knows how to do it because he's God. He's the God who summons. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. I worship you and I praise you, Jesus. Oh, God, I worship you, Lord. Whatever it is that I'm fearful of, whatever it is that I'm scared of, whatever it is that I'm burdened by, Lord Jesus, I turn to you, the God who summons. The God who summons into existence. Oh, what does not yet exist. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, I worship you and I praise you. God, I love you this morning and I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, I love you today. 
God, I worship you with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. God, everything that is within me, I love you. I worship you. I take all my brokenness. I take all of my, all of my ineptitude, Lord, and I place it at your feet because you're the God who can speak life into that which is dead. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, I place it at your feet because you're the one who can call into existence something that I can't even see right now. It's only a hope, but it doesn't exist yet. You haven't done it yet, but you will. And I'm going to act as if I believe you. I'm going to act according to your word. I'm going to be consistent with what you see, not what I see. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't do this very often. I do not want to cut off your prayer. I want you to keep praying. But when you have reached a point where normally you just head back to your seat or you would just kind of lift your head, instead what I want you to do is wherever you're at, I want you to simply lift your head and I want, to lift, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and I want you to worship Him. You say, well, what does that mean? You're just simply acknowledging that He's God. I'm not, I'm not rushing you right now, okay? I'm telling you, if you're praying, keep praying. Okay, but at the point when you would say, okay, I, I'm kind of done, I'm at that place, I'm going to go back to my seat. Instead of going back to your seat or just lifting your head, if you're sitting in your seat or you're kneeling, I want you at that moment to lift your hands to the Lord. And I want you to just acknowledge Him. In your own words, I don't need you to be loud. I don't need you to be anything in particular. I just want all across this place that by the time we're done, and I want you to keep worshiping. If you would, keep worshiping and give space for your brothers and sisters that when they finish praying, they can join you in this worship. Hallelujah. Hands raised is not the only way, but it is one way that we acknowledge the supremacy of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is a, it is a way of surrender. Hallelujah. I'm not rushing you, please. I, I don't want to rush you, but I want you to make sure that when you're done, that you begin to worship this way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I worship you and I praise you. Almighty God, I love you. Hallelujah. Accept your mercy. I accept your grace. I accept your love. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I accept you. I accept you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. I love you, Lord, and I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus, I love you, Lord. Oh, my God, you are so good. My God, you are so good. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, acknowledge him. 
acknowledge Him. It gives Him permission to do His work in your life. It gives Him permission to do work in our lives collectively. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God, for restoring. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for recreating. Help us to believe that which we don't see. Help us to believe in that which we only have hope for. God, how could you possibly make something good out of this? But I believe you as the God who summons. I believe you as the God who summons. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, you are so good. You are so good. Yes, my Father, you are so good. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah.